Good morning, everyone. I was thinking this morning in, when I was um, preparing this talk, it's a really hard job being a Zen teacher. <laughs> you, um, you, um, you sit here with everyone, and then what happens is that the, the language centres of your brain go offline, and then you're supposed to use words to give a Dharma talk, and switch it back on again. Um, <clears throat> it's a bit like asking a carpenter, to build a house without any, without any, without any tools. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a koan in itself. Um, the title of this talk today is called um, Like a Donkey Staring at a Well. And um, it came, comes from a, a koan, which is one of my favourite um, koans, where I'll paraphrase it, but um, uh, a monk, in answer to a general question, like, what is the Zen life, said to his teacher, it's like a donkey staring at a well. And his teacher, Sozan, said, well, you've said a lot there, but you've only said 80% of it. And uh, the monk asked Sozan, well, how would you say it, teacher? And Sozan replied, it's like a well looking at a donkey. (laughs) Which brings us to no mind. And uh, practicing uh, with no mind. And also, um, this koan reminds me of um, uh, the Dharma talk I gave, I think the last Sazenkai, which was based on Jill Balti Taylor's book, uh, My, My Stroke of Insight, where the, the left part of her brain was sort of um, went offline through a stroke. And as part of her recovery, her mother was looking after her and trying to prompt her to remember how to think again. And, and she said, Jill, Jill, what's one and one? And Jill said, Mum, what's one? <laughs> it's like a donkey staring at a well. Nothing going on. Um, I want to use this koan as a way of clarifying um, what practice is about. Um, and talk a little bit about mindfulness. Um, as a way of getting into this, I remember once I met a, met a guy who had gone to a, a communications workshop and, uh, and kept staring at me all the time. And it was kind of spooking me out a bit. Like he just kept staring at me. And I said, what, like, what are you staring at me for? He said, I've just been to a workshop where they said it's really important to make eye contact with people. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but when, when we're deliberately trying to be so mindful all the time, like we're kind of staring into the moment all the time, it's a little bit like that guy taking a good thing too far. Um, and in a sense, mindfulness should also include mindlessness. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes we go about it as we, we, we create a problem. We, we um, are trying too hard to be mindful. Now, I'm not, I'll go into this. I'm not suggesting we just sort of, you know, 
fantasize our heads off during a, a day of sitting. Um, but uh, often we bring too much intentional self to it, like the guy trying to make eye contact but staring. Um, D.T. Suzuki, the great Japanese Zen scholar, um, was once described in an article about him, um, a posthumous article, as the mindless scholar. And of course it was a bit of a pun on no mind or no self, you know, but it was also referring to the fact that he, he was notoriously absent-minded. Mm -hmm. And uh, it didn't seem as though he was necessarily, you know, off fantasizing about things. But there wasn't um, this sort of uh, self-conscious intention to be mindful. It's like a donkey staring at a well. But even better, it's like a well staring at a donkey. There's no intention to be mindful there. Um, when we look at definitions of mindfulness, when we look at John Kabat-Zinn's definition of mindfulness, and may I say before, I offer any criticism of it, that I've met John a number of times and I, I really love him as a person and uh, highly respect him. But the, the way people talk about mindfulness, and often in other Buddhist traditions, is it's described as intentionally bringing awareness to the present moment in a non-judgmental way. And I'd like to offer an alternative definition of it. It's allowing life to just be without judging it and without analysing it. Now, it might seem like a, a fine linguistic sort of distinction, um, but I'm offering that as in terms of pointing us in the, in the right way in terms of what practice is about, at least within the Zen tradition. Is that when we're intentionally trying to do something, it's like there's an intentional self that's got to go out there and do something. And so it, it puts a kind of uh, division there in the first place and a kind of strain there in the first place. And like, like all meditators, you know, we get cross with ourselves, you know, when we're not intentionally mindful and can even become very frustrated through the experience. There are many, many people I come across um, who've um, dabbled in mindfulness or practiced mindfulness and, and feel um, quite frustrated by the experience. And it's in a sense, it's because it's driven by too much intention. And uh, mindfulness in many ways, like the donkey staring at the well, is really just an act of doing nothing. And the word allowing, in allowing life just to be, it's not about intentionally trying to do something. It's just getting out of the way so you can experience life as it is. So in practice, it's really this... Um, this receptive quality to it all the time, rather than this intention, this sort of intentionality of going out. All we've got to do is sit here and get out of our own way and we'll be mindful. Mindfulness is the natural, the natural state of the mind, like a mirror just reflects. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to try to reflect, it just reflects. And it's about allowing that natural reflective nature of the mind to just be. Um, yes, we need to, to work at it to some degree when we find that, um, you know, judging and analysing and fantasising just takes over and you need to rein it in. 
Um, but if that's all that it is, it never gets a, sen a sense of um, never get a sense of flow to it. Um, one of the things to remember, um, which uh, Rick Hansen, the neuropsychologist, author of Buddha's Brain, mentioned to us a few weeks ago at a conference, is that the brain is essentially a reward system. You know, biologically, that's what it is. It's a reward system. Um, you know, it likes its little 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 shot of dopamine coming out all the time. You know, make it feel good. And that's just the way we are. That's the Buddha nature of brains. We're not going to ever change that. Um, but what you experience when you really are one with life, you know, and one with the moment, and one with the flow of it, is that um, it's actually more rewarding. Mm -hmm. um, if we think of coming like to a day of, of sitting as a, a giving up of giving up of something in, in an aesthetic sense, it's kind of missing the point of it. Um, it's actually an enriching experience. It's more rewarding to the brain. You know, the sense of just being still and quiet is something and, and not getting caught up in grasping at something or wanting more than what you have right now, having less of what you have right now. There's something... Um, ultimately much more rewarding about that experience. So as we mature in practice, our experience of, of life is kind of like the experience of listening to music. So if you, if you went to a concert and uh, instead of really listening to the music and enjoying it, you're sort of thinking like a, a musicologist might think, like, well, why did Beethoven write that symphony in C major rather than D minor? You know, like analysing it, commenting on it. And so often we're, we're caught up in commenting on life, you know, or commenting on our own inner psychology, our own, our own um, narrative and so on. We're actually missing um, what's really going on. Another author wrote a book, I like book titles, another author wrote a, wrote a book called um, Get Out of Your Mind and Into Life, making, making the same statement. But when we think of um, practice as being like music or life as being like music, um, it's not just enough to be present to individual notes. If, if your intention in listening to music was just to be mindful of different notes as they were happening, you would miss the music. Mm -hmm. And so what can often be missing in uh, Sazen practice uh, is the sense of the, the flow of experience just going, coming and going. You know, experience arises and it just passes away. And if there is some kind of resistance to that, then we'll struggle and we'll create some, some background of dissatisfaction. Um, but if our experience in Zazen is to just really fully see for yourself that life is impermanent, then the impermanence no longer becomes something to be, it's no longer threatening or something that kind of undermines 
our experience of self, as soon as we fully engage in it and just throw ourselves into it, then it turns from resistance into what people refer to as flow. You kind of you just go along for the ride. No, no longer any more resistance. When we listen to music in that kind of way, um, is, is often where we have our most enjoyable experience of music, and we're just sort of caught up in the rhythm of it and, and the flow of it, and it takes us along, and, and the separation is not there so much. In the um, Shodoka, uh, which is a long poem written, I think, by the, the third ancestral teacher or the fourth, we used to recite it all the time in the Sydney Zen Centre. There are some lines from that poem which I always remember. Um, talking about how to do sasin. And he says, they're hard words, tough love words. Holding and rejecting, these are but skillful lies. Students who do sasin by such lies love thievery in their own children. <laughs> tough words but what are they pointing towards is this um, sense of just allowing life to be letting it come and go as soon as there is the, the holding on to anything even just the holding on to a moment not necessarily the, the holding on to a possession or a person but as soon as there's the holding on to the moment we're, we're not practicing the way it was intended to be practiced as soon as we're um, rejecting something, it's there that we don't want to be there, and we're not in the, the flow of experience as it is, not welcoming it as it comes. Holding and rejecting, these are the skillful lines. The, uh, the Buddha himself apparently was known to um, have what was referred to as an elephant stare. And um, whenever he was somewhere with, a, say, a, a big gathering of people and then coming together of, you know, Dharma talk and food and socialising and so on, and it's like there was an end to it, you know, and he was about to move on, you know, travel down the road to the next, the next uh, destination. And what he would do, apparently, he would just stand there and he would just take it all in. It's like, I'm just going to take in this whole moment as it is right now, all this gathering of people here and the warmth in all these people here, all focused together, like an elephant staring, or like a donkey looking at a well again, just staring. And then he would just turn and walk off and he wouldn't look back, because that moment's gone. It'll never come back again. And what's in, important in our life is that we're, we're doing that not only in our sitting meditation, but it's really important to practice this in our everyday life. It's no matter how precious a moment is, you know, or um, how, how great a gathering is of people, it will come to an end. And it's like if we, we're holding it, we should, when we're holding on to it, we're not really enjoying it. Mm -hmm. um, it's not about not enjoying um, experience. It, it, it's Zazen is about, Zen practice is about enjoying experience to the full. And we, we enjoy it to the full when we're not holding on to anything, we're not holding on to experience. So it's very important just in everyday life 
I'd like you to really sort of focus on this in your practice, just in, in your everyday activities you go through and you're washing the dishes or driving the car or talking to someone or saying goodbye to someone or saying hello to someone, you know, is that it's all passing. Each moment's precious because it's coming and it'll never be the same again. It's going away. But to hold on to it is to be a prisoner of, of that moment. Wherever we don't want to be, and wherever we're holding on to something, we have created a prison for ourselves in our life. Um, as soon as we stop holding in rejection, we're no longer in a prison. There may be something useful um, in practicing mindfulness by bringing intentionality to it um, and maybe to use a musical analogy it's a bit like um, practicing scales <coughs> and you learn to play just that note and that note and that note and that note but just playing scales is not music it might be the, the foundation and the basis from which you can play music from but it's not music itself or if it is, it's not very interesting. It doesn't have rhythm to it. It doesn't have texture to it. Um, and maybe um, in, in the, there is a place for that in practice, like when we learn to um, put a lot of work into concentrating to begin with. Um, and often people just try and skip to the mindfulness without really learning how to concentrate in the first place. But it needs to go beyond that. Mm -hmm. Uh, where there's a letting go into the rhythm of what's actually occurring. Not just the staccato playing of scales. We come back to that analogy or that metaphor, that kind, um, that a Zen, that Zen practice or a Zen life is like a donkey looking at a well or a well looking at a donkey. Um, it's the experience of no mind and it's the experience of, of doing nothing. Um, Ajahn Brahm, who some of you might know, who's a um, Theravada abbot and um, a great stand-up comic as well, um, was, was talking at our conference recently. And he told this as a kind of a joke, but it's kind of serious to um, tell this story of a, a man who rings up the monastery and speaks to the monk and said, yeah, would you be available to give a retreat here and to give us some teachings? And the monk says, no, I can't, I'm too busy. And the man says, well, what, what are you busy doing? I'm busy doing nothing. <laughs> and the man rings up another three months later and says, you know, are you available to give some teachings? No, I'm, I'm too busy. What are you busy doing? I'm busy doing nothing. <laughs> That's a teaching in itself. Okay, so when we practice, let's just um, allow life just to be. Um, not separating ourselves from the experience, just letting it come and go. It's own accord without any need to um, to attain anything. 